Peace be with you. And also, also, and also you. with you. I'm your pastor, Liz Lundberg. Let us begin with a prayer. In the name of the Peter Moran. Hi. The Rick <laughs> Kelly. Hey there. And the holy Aaron Armstrong. Hiya. We pray that Pod's not dead. Life was filled with guns and war and everyone got trampled on the floor. I wish we'd all been ready. Children died, the days grew cold, a piece of bread could buy a bag of gold. I wish we'd all been ready. There's no time to change your mind, the sun has come, you've been left So welcome to the pilot episode of Pod's Not Dead. Uh, after weeks of delay, we finally got together to record this friggin' thing. Um, I mean, no one really knows when it's coming. So for them, this yeah. is this is the first that they've heard that there's been problems with the ship. <laughs> yeah, except for my girlfriend. My girlfriend's like, "Are you actually watching Left Behind again?" <laughs> and you're like, "No, yeah, I'm watching it ironically. I'm watching it ironically." And you're like, "So, speaking of which, uh, you guys want to go to church this Sunday? <laughs> <laughs> this movie has some really good ideas. <laughs> yeah. uh, huh. That'd be that'd be kind of sad if Left Behind is the movie that converted you. That just, the, Left Behind converted no one. I mean, that's just not like it's it's the crazy thing is that if you look back at older Rapture movies, they're like, "Hey, you out there, watch out." For some reason, Left Behind always feels like just saved people laughing to me. Like, ha, this is what you guys are going through. Uh, so, uh, just to talk sort of generally about the topic of the sh- uh, of the show, the concept, we're mostly going to be focusing on Christian movies, religious movies, uh, of which um, we've had quite a few in the last five years or so. How long ago did God's Not Dead come out? Does anyone? Um, know? I think it's always been there since the beginning yeah. of time. <laughs> Yeah, in the yeah. beginning was the word. <laughs> yeah, the message was written on our hearts in our creation. God's not dead is like the Quran. It's like an actual. A- it's an aspect of God. It never had to be created. It's eternal. Um, yeah. It, so yeah. So a lot of these movies though have been coming out before this like recent terrible revolution. I know I uh, will talk about it later, but I watched a lot of them growing up. It's it's just there's a there's a rich vein of, of really really bad movies to talk about here, and also we're gonna we're gonna get into this, but we're gonna try to break down the movies into two parts because ultimately these movies are about two things. One, they are a movie and have to function as a movie, and we're gonna be talking about whether we think that the movie that we're watching functions successfully as a movie. And then the second part, which I think is going to get more interesting uh, to talk about as well, once once you learn uh, where we all stand from a religious uh, standpoint or from a belief standpoint, is how they work as kind of a reflection of faith. And I think there's a lot of movies out there that a lot of us would agree are about faith that you don't need to be a a believer yourself to appreciate you know the big ones are the tree of life and the seventh seal where these are these are mediations about uh, eternity and faith and god and so we're going to be asking how these live up to that theme that a lot of these movies are supposedly trying to tackle so our scale is from zero to seventh seal <laughs> um, how many, how many millibergmans does this movie rate us? <laughs> so if we want to go around it and start talking about our uh, experiences with organized religion and, and and where we fall on those kind of things uh i don't know who wants to start 
Liz, why don't you start? All right, I could start. Um, I grew up in a very conservative, very evangelical, uh, very evangelical family. We went to a non-denominational church, um, but really that was just because they couldn't stop getting into fights with people. Um, <laughs> and so they're uh, the family from you're the you're from the family from the witch. <laughs> kinda, kinda, yeah, yeah. It's not, it's not. <laughs> And I, I went to Christian middle school, Christian high school. They were all lunatic conservative places. To give to give you an idea, we watched um, in Bible class in high school, we watched a lot of videos by this guy named Kent Hovind, who calls himself Dr. Dino. Uh, he spent, <laughs> while, while I was in, yeah, it sounds believable, right? <laughs> um, while I was in high school, when we were watching these videos, he was in jail for tax fraud. Um, our, our Bible teacher intimated, well, no, he, he straight out said that the government was putting him in jail because they didn't like what he was saying, yeah. <laughs> which was, um, you, got, you got to shut Dr. Dino down. That guy. Oh, for sure. He's the, yeah. <laughs> Do you think at some point he emerged from jail and was like, someone whispered something in his ear and he's like, wait, what? <laughs> They're called paleontologists. Yeah. Yeah. I've been making an ass of myself this whole yeah. time. I've been calling. I thought they were called dinosaur doctors. Uh, <laughs> Doctor Dino's jailhouse trans transformation. Well, I mean, now he makes YouTube videos about how the devil rides around in a UFO. So, <laughs> yeah, he says it's how he gets around really fast. Um, like Santa. Yeah, like Santa. <laughs> well, there's a lot of similarities. Um, uh, so yeah, I, I got pretty sick of that, um, and. Uh, Spent about five or six or seven years uh, pretty contemptuous of it. And then I, I ended up, I'm, I'm at a, a Christian college right now, just wrapping up, basically done. Um, and I ended up here mostly because of free tuition. Um, and uh, um, <laughs> That welfare I, state. Yes, that welfare <laughs> state for related people related to professors. Um, <laughs> I ended up going to a church nearby that's, that's extremely progressive, um, much more... LGBT positive, which was essential for me because I'm a trans woman, if you can't tell by my voice. <laughs> um, yeah, I've, I've come back around and um, I'm planning on going to seminary next year and becoming a minister, but um, much, 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 much uh, different tradition than the one I grew up in. So yeah, my I, I, I am definitely, uh, I'd say that I'm a Christian, but absolutely of the farthest thing from the kind of Christianity that made left behind. <laughs> yeah, and that's kind of like an intelligent response to growing up in, you know, an evangelical up upraising is like just being like, well, I don't have to throw out fucking everything. Like I can I can throw out like most of the dogma, but I can still have faith in a different aspect, which is part of the reason I wanted to do this show. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's, mm -hmm. it's, it's a common thing, I think, with kids who uh, came from that circumstance that, or and some of them just uh, continue being atheists. But I think a lot of people uh eventually want to reconnect with some part of their tradition without uh associating with the nut bar stuff they grew up with totally. so i think so i think some of those people are not on this podcast <laughs> yeah, yeah. if we're if we're gonna if, if we're gonna transition so i also so i was actually raised in a really weird religious situation where my parents didn't start out religious like they would every other week catholic uh you know okay we'd, we'd say goodnight prayers and then as – and they just kind of progressed into more and more religious to the point that my mom, who was a uh, a freelance author, became a – like a Catholic author, wrote books, still does. Uh, and so she – you know, by, by about the time I was in junior high, her big thing was 
uh, because she started homeschooling all of us. So I was actually homeschooled for junior high. I uh, went to a public elementary school and then a public high school. The rest of my brothers and sisters were homeschooled till high school and then went to a Catholic high school. So as homeschoolers, the, the other homeschool parents were a lot of fundamentalist uh, Christian kids. So I was around them a lot. And so my mom got really into teaching us more about our faith and how it was closer to what Jesus wanted than the Martin Luther Reformation Christianity stuff. So as a result, I know a shit ton about, in general, kind of the the typical Christian beliefs compared and a lot about the Catholic beliefs because the idea was that we were um, supposed to defend our religion against Christianity against the, the the other the other non-Catholic Christians, which is so funny today because now my mom doesn't worry about that at all, and now it's all about uh, Islam and atheists. Yeah, yeah, it's funny because I was raised the opposite end of that. Like I was supposed to attack the Catholics, so I think yeah. this is the showdown we've been spending our whole life building up to. <laughs> well, Aaron, who, who know who knew this was this is the time to debate? Um, yeah, we we should have a whole episode where we debate from those perspectives. Yes, just the best we can remember. <laughs> yeah. So actually, my, so to, to drive that point home, though, my mom's first, uh, my mom's first book was called uh, "Raising Your Kids Catholic." Uh, the fir- the four oldest, there's ten of us. The four oldest almost immediately lost our faith uh, after we started going to college. And I joked with my mom once that she should have called her first book uh, "Keeping Your Kids Catholic," <laughs> and uh, that didn't go over great. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, so so I'm not going to get into the whole thing maybe on a future episode, but I went through a very long process of going from incredible, sure, yes, this is obviously not just belief, but like factually true to over a four or five year process to, yeah, I think this is probably all bullshit and in a lot of ways not great for uh, – so I, you know, I, I had that stretch where I was an insufferable atheist. Mm-hmm. Because you you read all this stuff and you're like, oh, do all these Catholics and Christians know this stuff? Be- and then you want to share it with them. Because I didn't know this shit. So I was like, right. holy shit. Right. Like, I don't think they know this. And, of course, when you share it with them, they're like, no. So I actually debated a few priests because my parents <laughs> uh, my parents were like, all you got to do is talk to a priest because we don't have the answers. But they'll get it. And they didn't have the answers. So anyways, yeah. it was a long process. Uh, and, and at the end of the day, I would consider myself hopefully a lot less insufferable about my atheism. I'm not trying to convert anyone, but I, uh, I think there's, I think Jesus, uh, for most of the books of the Bible, minus John is a good role yeah, model. Minus John, yeah, that's a good, uh, but, and, uh, and I wish that more Christians practice the version uh, in those other three gospels, uh, then, then the kind of mainstream Christianity, it feels like, and, and some more fundamentalist Catholicists, uh, do today. Um, yeah, that's really interesting. Like, like Aaron, I was, uh, I was raised Catholic and, uh, kind of like, like you were just saying, Liz, it, um, I, I don't think I've come back to it. I'm certainly not about to become a minister. Uh, that's not going to happen. At least, you know, if for no other reason than the fucking... Yeah, you know? <laughs> Listen, but, uh, I'm not planning on not fucking. <laughs> but uh, you know, um, so she's was, not becoming a priest. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, but I was uh, I was raised pretty Catholic. You know, it was um, I I was an altar boy from you know age five to eleven or something. I was there three times a week uh, with CCD four times a week. You know, I didn't go to, um, to Catholic school, but uh, 
I, I was very involved in the church, um, and it was definitely, you know, grace before dinner, prayer before bed, pretty, pretty imbued in like, in, in our lives. Um, it's kind of how it was. And, um, I think as a kid, actually, uh, I was pretty into the, uh, the sort of like pageantry and weird ritual aspect of it and the incense and the, repetitions and the stained glass and what have you. It was like, you know, it's pretty, it was, it was a big part of my life and I think pretty formative and maybe part of the reason why I like horror movies actually is directly traceable to my uh, Catholic upbringing. But at some point um, that wasn't, uh, I, I kind of rebelled against it. I never was confirmed, um, just walked away from all that in my, my high school years. And also like Aaron was saying, I was pretty, I was kind of a dick about it for many years just being like pointing out the inherent idiocy of a lot of uh, the teachings and the hypocrisy of the church and obviously the the scandals and and what have you. But, you know, as the years have gone by, I think um, there are a lot of sort of redemptive aspects about about that tradition that in practice I admire a lot, actually, um, when when people are are actually being legit and, and good about their their practices. Some of my best friends and some people I really admire are uh, – are people of faith. So, you know, uh, hopefully I've, I've calmed down about it and it's not, it's not a big part of my life now, but it's, it's certainly there. Like the joke I always make when people ask what my religion is, is that I was raised Catholic. You know, just to, just the one sentence piggyback on that. I've learned as I've gotten older that it's not Christianity. I have a problem with it's hypocrisy. And it just so happens that a lot of Christians are broadcast their obvious hypocrisy with megaphones yeah (laughs) (laughs) which is interesting because um i think that problem shows itself more with people who are raised catholic because there's this idea of a a definite organization that you have to accept all of whereas with the uh crazy separatist protestants i grew up with if anyone did anything bad like oh they weren't a real christian they don't count like in our church uh no catholics do that too oh they do (laughs) (laughs) yeah so my uh my experience is roughly similar to uh rick's in that uh i grew up catholic but i did go to catholic school uh so i got a very like blue sky version of catholicism for like first grade until I got to college, basically, because I went to a Catholic high school as well. I uh, when I got to college, eventually they were like, hey, theology is uh, something that has, you know, a lot of variation in it. And like there's a lot of approaches to the to the to theology. And it doesn't mean you have to take everything the Catholic Church uh, says at face value because I went to a Jesuit college. So they were a little bit uh, more lax about those kind of teachings. I've heard that if you go to more strict uh, Catholic colleges that they could uh, be a little crazier about what kind of Catholic they teach you. Um, <laughs> but yeah, getting to college and having like a good theology class uh, didn't make me any less of an atheist. But what it did do was it taught me that uh, there was something to be learned out of just like the principles of theocracy. Because like up until that point, I'd been taught just this like yeah, this blue sky version of Catholicism that just didn't apply to me. It didn't have any valuable lessons in it for me for my entire life. And all I had rolling out around in my brain was like nonsense. Like in second grade, we were told about the concept of hell and I believed I was going to hell. And then when I expressed that to a teacher, she was like, well, maybe you are, maybe you aren't. That's something you're just going to have to figure out. (laughs) And, uh, 
so I've been hunting down that woman for 30 years. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and she's going to be in Peter's version of hell. I'm recording this from the, uh, the, the cabin of my, uh, my Mack truck. That I'm hunting her down from, uh, but yeah, no, that was that was a pretty like early on. I had some scarring experiences with believing I was going to hell, so that by the time I got to high school, I had like built up this atheism as a defensive mechanism, where like I could not be because if I believed in in hell, then I was going there, right? Well, it does it doesn't help either that, and because I I felt that way too, where it was just like. Well, I, I masturbated, and if I don't get to a church to confess this, like if I'm riding my bike to church and I get by a car on the way to riding my bike to go confess this to the priest, I'm going to burn for eternity. <laughs> so it, it didn't it didn't help that like – because most of the stuff you'd be like, well, don't murder people. Oh, great. I'm not going to murder people. Don't ever look at a girl and get aroused. Oh, fuck. <laughs> I, I can't do that one. <laughs> but yeah. But in uh, high school, if they had actually engaged with – that kind of Catholicism where it was like, hey, there's some lessons in here for like normal people. Sure. I I may I probably wouldn't be religious, but I would be at least like closer to the church than my current relationship. So like having this this like lame idealized version of Catholicism that was take it or leave it really drove me away from it. I really just want to say like right off the bat, like I have no fucking interest in making this show like a atheist screed. And yeah, I, I'd like to. I was gonna say this. I, I like to get that on the the ground. I'm glad we introduced our faith a little bit because it's, it would be very fucking annoying to have this just be yet another atheist podcast. Yeah, I want to kind of. I want to piggyback on that too. Like, I, I totally wanted to say something similar, and uh, it's kind of interesting, Peter, when you're saying that because when I went to college, I studied philosophy. I was a philosophy major. I actually got really into a bunch of like medieval thought and Christian thought. It was much more interesting grappling with these the sorts of questions that that animate all these discussions in a serious way than the way that it was sort of force fed to me as a kid. So I think that was part of coming back around. Like if the the context in which you encounter it um, makes a lot of difference in terms of how it's received, or at least it did for me. You know what I mean? And now it's at the point yeah. where you know I'm like, yeah, these are they're they're these are vital questions. Like that's why they keep getting asked. Um, but also. You know, fuck you. I'm not going to go to your thing. Nah, whatever. You know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So simultaneously, we want to approach the idea that faith is not in and of itself disrespectable or disreputable, uh, irreputable. Disrepu- disreputable. Disreputable. Yeah. I, I like danced around it as many times. <laughs> you said um, you said you said dis- disreputable. <laughs> yeah, you're you're close. <laughs> Stay on target. Um <laughs> But uh, yeah, I uh, not the idea that faith is disreputable, but the idea that uh, there are applications of faith that are uh, kind of disgusting. Uh, what do you guys want the show to kind of be? I, the thing that I think is probably going to happen is that I'm almost certainly going to be the angriest of the four of us <laughs> at the terrible <laughs> theology in these movies. Um, I mean, I, I don't want to. Uh, say that for sure you guys can be as angry as you like but uh as as the um the practicing believer who who also thinks the theology of a lot of these movies is 
uh halfway to evil 90 percent of the way to evil yeah uh, definitely <laughs> horrendous <laughs> um i plan to do most of the soapbox screeds <laughs> and, and i'll tell you what okay i will admit i will probably get up there a few times because you know um, my a lot of my family is still very much in it and i'm, I'm close with my family uh, they know where i stand belief wise but you know, it's so frustrating to see kind of this descent from, like, these two people that met in the Peace Corps. And my dad worked for, like, he was, like, the assistant director of the Jimmy Carter campaign in California in 76 to, to these, like, now, like, I don't think global warming is real. And, oh, uh, Islam, bad religion. Like, after being taught all these positive <laughs> things, like, like, I mean, you know, some, I, of, the, some even, of the bad religion records aren't that bad. <laughs> yeah, I mean, even like even like 15 years ago, you know, my parents were like, hey, Mother Teresa always said that, you know, there's different ways to God through different doors. So it doesn't matter what religion you are, as long as you're the best one. And now, like, my mom's writing screeds about like it. So it's yeah. so I I've seen a a very slow soap uh, slope into from like liberal people that want to make the world a better place to like i believe i I would be afraid to ask my parents what they think happened on (laughs) 9-11 like (laughs) you know like it's never come up but every time it's like they don't think vaccines are good because it has aborted fetuses like it's that level of where they're at right now right yeah so i may i may get angry a little bit i i welcome you you come up on my box but uh, um my parents are the same way, except they just never were another way. <laughs> uh, they were just always like that. Um, it, yeah, it's so interesting to me just that, to hear that um, from you guys, since I, you know, I grew up hearing all these conspiracies about the Catholic Church and uh, their their various evil plots. Um, one big one was true. Yeah, yeah the big one. Uh, <laughs> So one thing I think that is reminding me that I think is going to make this podcast interesting as it goes on is that I always forget, while it was a huge part of the whole Christian versus Catholic, that for the most part, evangelical Christians take the Bible literally. And mm-hmm. even my parents are like, well, okay, a- yeah, Adam yeah, and Eve and- may not have happened, but like there were – Two first people that God gave uh, souls to. What did to, you say? Did you say Adam and Eve didn't happen? You're out of the church. Yeah. <laughs> no. Yeah. No. Extremely. I mean, I don't like to use the word literally because that implies that they follow all the letters. And I mean, like, they don't. It's they call it literally, even though they don't read about ninety percent of it. Um, but uh, uh, yeah. No. This like the parts they like. That yeah. Really exactly. Happen. This but this the, ex- extremely right wing reading of. No, this has to mean exactly what it sounds like. Despite the fact that the Bible was cobbled together from like yeah. what six languages? How many languages is the Bible cobbled well, together from? Nah, two sure. and one, two and a little bit. There's one sentence of Aramaic. Here's here's why, and maybe we can transition into the movie and why we picked it from this. But that's why I do think, even though there's a lot of douchebags that kind of started the new atheism uh, trend, that I definitely read a lot of those books uh, in the in the mid uh, you know 2005 2006 is because. That shit like the fact that, hey, the Bible was written to all these different people and also we didn't have photocopies for 1,500 years, even for the New Testament. Like, people just had to write that shit down and we have a couple of them. And and there's also, like, and also think about, like, all that information that seems so basic, No, I never yeah. heard about. I never heard about, ever. And it was it was that kind of stuff and then getting deeper into okay, wait, how do we know all this stuff happened and finding that there's not 
that much there. The messengers weren't great. And a lot of them went into a lot of other unfortunate rhetoric later on. The Dawkins and the Sam Harrises of the world. But they at the very least brought these things that I never heard about. And I feel like a lot of people never thought about into the forefront again. Yeah. Yeah. There were a lot of these ideas that that biblical scholars had all known for 100, 120, 130 years. And – but they were all not in books you could get at Borders. uh, Yeah. Which I do think – I think you're right about that. Yeah. I I mean it was also presented to me as as sort of like, you know, the the revealed – Word revealed truth is just it. That's what it says. That's what it means. You don't have to look deeper into it. And one of the ridiculous things about that is once I got a little bit of distance from it, people have been talking about that for thousands of years or hundreds of yeah. years. Oh, yeah, about the the sort of problems that come with um, with this this tradition and, and things being handed down and being interpreted. And that's much more interesting than the uh it is than this notion that i was i was i got as a kid you know well it's kind of like the count the council of nicaea which i knew about as a catholic that's where in 315 ad everyone got together and like agreed that this is what the bible is and and that sounds like you know they were blessed by god and they said yep god approved it and then when you read about what it was which is all these like different cult factions of christianity getting together and being like fuck guys we need to have one consistent message right we're gonna face the world and then like people like voting and debating like okay we're gonna say fine that's in but this is out and that's like how they decided absolute truth i know it's like it's like the democratic national committee Exactly. Yeah, yeah basically. <laughs> it, it really is. If you look at like Christians, anyone who knows their stuff, a lot of Christians hold up Athanasius as this wonderful guy who, who, create, who uh, held up these ideas, uh, a lot of important early ideas. Athanasius also almost certainly killed a dude. Like if you look at the records, he probably murdered someone uh, to <laughs> keep his power. Like everyone basically knew it. Um, there's another guy. I, I think I posted. There's a wonderful quote about Cyril of Nest- uh, Cyril of Nestoria, uh, who's a church father from the 300s. After he died, one of his bishops wrote down. Uh, thank God that awful man is dead. The, the living may rejoice, but the dead uh, will soon get sick of him. They will not waste time in sending him back to us. Therefore, put a heavy stone on his grave so we won't have to see him again, living or dead. And this is like <laughs> one of the major figures in early Christianity. <laughs> That's what he said. Wow. They ripped off my Re- grandma's eulogy. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think that kind of, you know, and the Catholic Church did this for years, which is part of the one of the reasons that led to the Reformation. I think that controlling information has what has kept Christianity at the forefront and in power and a lot of other stuff. So I think, you know, access to more information is always a good thing because they kind of hit you with this thing that you have to decide. And they give you this binary choice, I feel like, mainstream Catholicism and Christianity. They say, well, you have to you have to believe one of two things. Either Jesus was the biggest con man or liar that's ever walked the earth, or he was the son of God. And that binary choice, I feel like, helps control the narrative and, and easily pushes people into one direction. When, as you start learning about a lot of this stuff, it's easy to go... That binary choice is bullshit. There's a whole bunch of different options about translations and people creating stories based on stuff. 
or a, a, a person who inspired stuff that never comes up into that context because it just wasn't as known. It wasn't mainstream knowledge. Mm-hmm. And it also backfires so fantastically because that's why we end up with all these kids who become atheists and leave the church because if you tell people the only options are are insane ideas or complete atheism then they're gonna say okay i'm an atheist uh, if i had heard there was an option that was in between those two extremes <laughs> i probably wouldn't have had to go the long yeah. way around to come back to it <laughs> right. yeah, yeah and i i feel like especially and we've talked about teenage atheism a bit but like it's kind of central to i think oh, it's my favorite who it, album it's kind of central to <laughs> our understanding of uh, religion because there's this sort of like breakaway that has to happen from the the faith of your parents uh, to your own faith or lack thereof. And as a teenager, it's really fucking exciting. The idea that you're like in this organization and then you like find out one hypocrisy of the organization. Like it just makes everything else unravel you start looking like deeper into that's why i mean it's why mormons are a great fear of the internet it's because they get like grand criticism on the internet for you know certain policies and like some kids don't even know that like key mormon beliefs are like made fun of so they go out in the world and they, they become like missionaries or they go out in the world and they meet other people in their neighborhoods and they're like oh wait you guys think that's funny like it's been, it's been, you know, my whole life. I've never thought it was funny at all. That's not funny at all. Yeah. But uh, it's like how when I was a kid, we used to eat uh, eggs with jelly. Then yeah. eventually, what? I, went out, I went out of the world, and it turns out that that's disgusting to everybody. I want to talk about this for an hour. <laughs> <laughs> the, the, the eggs with jelly cast is now the uh, <laughs> <laughs> weird shit that that Rick has eaten is now the podcast. <laughs> Welcome to the cakes cast. Yeah, I'm gonna, the, the vegan podcast host. Talking about his eggs. That's great. <laughs> but yeah, my, my point was just that there's something exciting and enticing about teenage atheism. And walking that back in a smart way is, uh, I think, another goal of the show. Is to just to that knee jerk, that knee jerk, like, oh, fuck all religion. Like, I, I think the walking it back in an intelligent way is, is going to be something we're trying to do. Yeah, and I, I fully respect. There are so many religious people I respect. The idea of faith, I really, I really like. I love the um, kind of the the biblical narrative, like relays of. I love movies that try to depict, you know, the Book of Revelation or creation. Sure, um, because I, I think like a lot of ancient mythos. It is fantastical and interesting. Uh, maybe not as written in the Bible, but the bones of the story, uh, a lot of times are very are very good. So, I I'm not I'm not here to to bury religious people or people who like hold their faith as like a you know a comfort or a sincere belief or a motivation for how to be a better person. I think, and maybe this is a good transition. The the type of people that I will save my scorn for are the fucking Kirk Camerons and that sect of uh, that strain of judging hippo- Hippocratic religious Hippo- I told you so <laughs> hypocritical what I say Hippocratic? Doctors. Hippocratic. Doctors. do no harm yeah. do no harm Kirk Cameron <laughs> the opposite I think making fun of those types of people and the way that they have applied religion to uh, feel superior and make money you know all the other worst parts of of religion. Um, I think that's fun and fair game because, God, 
the message they're saying in this movie, they're a bunch of asshole. <laughs> so, yeah. I, I get the distinct impression I am probably going to be the most generous, <laughs> ironically, to these films. Um, because, I, you know, like, to me, just watching it as popcorn entertainment, it's, it's fascinating. Do vegans have popcorn? Yeah, sure. Why not? <laughs> I make awesome popcorn. Yeah. It's got coconut oil. So good. No, vegans brought us nutritional yeast on popcorn, which is like the best thing in the world. Fuck yeah. It's in movie theaters now. You're welcome. Oh, goodness. Uh, Don't answer my joke sincerely, guys. It's (laughs) (laughs) good. But I guess what I'm saying is like, uh, you know, I, I am interested. It's kind of, it's just interesting to me as a thing that um, these films exist and have this viewpoint and have like, like, are they successful in what they're trying to do? Usually not. And it's curious to me why that is and, and whether um, sort of evangelical cinema is uh, even a viable sort of thing or, or how it works in practice. But I'm still trying to give it the benefit of the doubt, even though Kurt Cameron is like, you know, a walking boil and horrible uh, piece of piece of garbage um, on fire <laughs> in the world. Like I kind of, it's I'm curious how the the films themselves work. You know, so yeah, I'm hoping one. I'm hoping some of these movies surprise me because there are a lot of great movies about religion and about faith. Well, uh, on that note, let's uh, move on to one that did not surprise us. Uh, so uh, I was the one who picked Left Behind, the uh, 2000, what, what, 2000, 2000? 2000. 2000, yeah. Yeah, 2000 movie um, to start off with uh, for a few reasons. For one, growing up, I, I got a, the distinct sense that there was a sort of a beginning of a, a self-awareness of Christian film that kind of came around this movie. Um and it's kind of started with this movie uh, and two it, it's it's terrible uh, i inflicted it on uh, all my pals uh what what did you guys think uh, oh wait no plot run plot rundown who wants to give a plot rundown <laughs> so so i can do it and i'm going to preface it with saying you actually didn't inflict this on me in the same way you probably did the other two in that i always wanted to rent this at the movie store that's right you said that i worked yeah. at because uh, I was a big Kirk Cameron fan. This is before. Wait, what? Uh, I, <laughs> Wait, what? <laughs> yep. Those words together. <laughs> so the two, the two people when I was like elementary school, so like first, second grade. Yeah. That I like look up, looked up to as like cool kids <laughs> were like Mike Seaver from Growing Pains <laughs> and, and Zach Morris from Saved by the Bell. It's so awesome. Hey, Aaron, at at, uh, at my elementary school, we had a there was a day where. I guess it was field day and you could you could win games at like a sort of carnival like thing where you, you know, knock down buckets or whatever it was. And I yeah. want I want a poster of Kirk Cameron. I put it on my wall, actually. If, if you could send that to me, um, I'm going to need some alone time with Rick's poster. Um, I don't know why they were giving that out, but I want it. You're going to have a mortal sin on your hands again. Yeah, I know. Well, I got a bike to confession. Uh, so, so <laughs> the priest is like, "What, <laughs> Kirk Cameron?" I jerked off to a Kirk Cameron poster. Is it even yeah. a sin? No, I was jerking <laughs> off, and there was a Kirk Cameron poster. Yeah, it wasn't in the vicinity vin- of a Kirk Cameron poster. <laughs> <laughs> Technically, it was Mike Seaver. If we're getting technical, yeah, right. Um, so yeah, I really, and you know, he was one of those actors because this is before I, you know, he really became like everyone knew. That he was, uh, you know, Christian. So it was like, what happened to that guy? Oh, good. He's in movies again. And then I heard it was a, like, apocalyptic, you know, Satan takes over. Sure. I was like, I'm in. And I just never rented it um, because I was like, oh, but it kind of looks like it's shittily made. But nothing about it, like, screamed to me. Like, I didn't really – the concept of, like, Christian m- 
made cinema like quasi movies made for not general audience but for the choir it just never it never really occurred to me that that existed and it probably wasn't it didn't exist as much back then so it just was like oh it just looks cheap and if I want to see the fucking revelation apocalypse, I want to see something with a budget. So that's <laughs> you want to be see Sam Neill as the Antichrist. Yeah, exactly. Three, Exorcist yeah. Three for yeah. sure. Because I was constantly <laughs> disappointed. Because I read I read Revelation so many fucking times as a kid because it was the most interesting part of the Bible. It's the trippiest <laughs> the trippiest part of the Bible for sure. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's so up there, yeah. so I always wanted it like brought to life, and I just I was constantly disappointed by. I felt like horror movies and just movies like that that never – that gave you a taste but didn't clearly didn't have the budget for it. So, I knew this one wasn't going to deliver. So, I just never got around to renting it. But it was for a couple years like one of these days – I'm bringing Kirk Cameron home. Fight <laughs> Satan. We've all we've all said that. <laughs> so I have I do have a question though. It's something you touched on. Why is it? Do you guys think that most evangelical films or most religious films like this are so incompetently made? Like, there's obviously there's obviously great religious movies. Like I just watched fucking Silence, which is like. One of the most stirring movies I've seen about religion since Tree of Life, and then before or Calvary, that, like Calvary, yeah, Calvary's great. Calvary, oh, Calvary's Calvary's so good. I haven't seen it, but I heard it's amazing. Like they make stirring movies about religion, but they are specifically like, why are these evangelical diatribes made so talentlessly? So I think that's a very easy to answer. In that movies about faith, and some of the best movies are about faith, are. are trying to tell a story first, whether it's a story of someone's struggle with faith, uh, reflecting the writer, the director's own struggle with faith Mm -hmm. or how they view religion. They're just – they're – at the end of the day, they're they're trying to tell a story. Christian evangelical movies like this are not trying to tell a story. They are trying to either convert people or reinforce people's belief. So, the story is secondary to the proselytizing. Yeah. The the story they're telling is – the story they're telling is the story that you're going to feel – they're like telling themselves a story about how this is going to convert audiences. It's not that they're telling you a story. It's that they're telling themselves a story about how this this is going to be received. Yeah. And uh, to kind of play off that, I think – one of the the main problems, or maybe even the main problem in my view, is that uh, that ends up being inherently um, undercuts any kind of tension or dramatic uh, narrative arc or whatever. Like, the whole notion of things being animated by doubt or by tests of faith are sort of key to the notion of being involved. But if those things are stripped out and you just have... Uh, a story that's supposed to be self-evident, <clears throat> that's not particularly interesting. You know what I mean? Um, so I, I really think the issue of the issue of doubt or its absence is is the uh, thing that hamstrings a lot of this stuff. Yeah, because you can't – I don't think you can make a good movie about faith without doubt being present because that's what fucking faith means. It means sure. not knowledge. So if you if you have something that you believe rather than know, then the the reverse has to be true. It's like it's like a movie with only good would be boring because sure. you need or only evil because you need something for it to press against for there to Some be traumatic friction. Conflict. Yeah, exactly. I think that one of the central issues, uh, not just with these movies, and why I think uh, evangelical movies are, are incredibly representative of, of uh, spiritual death in the church uh, at large, is that they are terrified of narrative. 
they do not trust narrative because narrative involves some part in the middle where everything isn't obvious. Um, and they're terribly embarrassed about the fact that their religious texts are in narrative form. Uh, they don't like it and they want to hide it. That's why the story of Jesus basically gets reduced to born and then killed. They want to reduce it to the briefest moment possible to get around the whole narrative aspect. And to kind of, um, so yeah, that actually goes, so the narr- narrative of this movie is Buck Williams, Kirk Cameron, uh, intrepid reporter, is talking about how they may have found the answer to all of all of uh, the food crises facing the nation. Uh, so anyway, so a bunch of planes blow up. And everyone's like, well, well that's weird. Let's first um, talk about the magic uh, the magic wheat formula. Uh, <laughs> too, bad the, uh, too bad the wheat recognizer from uh, Alien Covenant wasn't there. He couldn't tell us whether or not it was wheat. <laughs> it's, so, it's so great. It's like, I, that's the best cover for not having a good location. Like, yeah. I got to tell you, this is so amazing. It looks just like we're in Kansas. No, I no, know. His, but we're in the Middle East. Yeah, I wanted to, this because it's the funniest line in the entire movie. He says... Uh, he, Kirk Cameron turns to the to his doctor friend and says, "This is incredible. It looks just like Iowa." And the guy says, "We're truly blessed." It's like no one's blessed to look like Iowa. If you <laughs> yeah. look like Iowa, you're not blessed. Those two are you just opposite. you just, you just uh, transform beautiful deserts deserts into Iowa. Iowa. Why did you do this? Oh yeah, the pro- you made the promised land into uh, Iowa. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, so there's also an airplane pilot who's cheating on his wife. His, his one of his his wife is a an incredible mother and 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 uh, and doting doting wife. They have a wonderful kid, and uh, and then they have this one kid who has a pierced <laughs> nose. Oh my fuck God. her! She um, basically. Basically, it's all over. She looks like she really wants to be Neve Campbell. Um, yeah, and, yeah, uh, very much so. Uh, she got the choker and everything. Yeah. Um, so, so they, so the the pilot goes and he's flying. Buck Williams is still investigating all these strange things that are happening that no one else is talking about. Um, they're all playing together when uh, there's also a uh, flight attendant played by Chelsea Noble, Kirk Cameron's real wife, uh, real life wife. And uh, who he she's going to go work at the United Nations now. I don't know. Yeah, she's uh, going straight from uh, airline flight, attendant. Pi- air, flight attendant to working at the United Nations based on <laughs> one reporter's recommendation. <laughs> <laughs> recommendation. Also, he made, he, he made a phone call. By the way, how do they know each other? I don't understand that part. I, 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 I think, I don't I think like he, best friends. he flies a lot uh, yes, on whatever airline that is, I think. I yeah, you get to request a flight attendant. Anyway, <laughs> so... I have no fucking Which idea. is definitely not something that would get you put with the opposite flight attendant, right? <laughs> yeah. Like, they would just they'd give you any flight attendant but that one. Is, that. is Hattie working? Fuck <laughs> you. Yeah. They'd be like, not anymore. Now she's on a different flight. Yeah. She, she's flying to Tokyo. <laughs> and also, you're you're on a direct flight to the HR department. Uh, so, 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 anyway, so they're all on a plane, and all of a sudden, everyone's like, hey, can't can't find my wife or my kids, and they're but naked. their clothes are here. Yeah. Um, bring, folded, him his, bring him his pants. Pressed. Yeah. Uh, and eventually, they're like, oh. I guess people are off the plane, uh, and everyone kind of freaks out about that. One guy who we'll talk about more at length later really freaks out about it. Not does not take it well. So they go back to Earth. And they're like, "This is weird. All the kids are <laughs> gone." They go back to Earth. They were just on a plane. They weren't in space. <laughs> yeah, they're off Earth. They're in the sky. Elon Musk flew the. <laughs> 
<laughs> they go back to Earth. Yeah, they back. Like, meanwhile, they're on, on a space Earth. shuttle. Um, I'm sorry. So Aaron. no, that that's a good catch. Uh, and now, how I'm going to describe all of my plane rides? Yeah, <laughs> good to be back on Earth. <laughs> To be back in the great old planet Earth. Uh, so, so yeah. So, anyway. So, they're like, yeah, all the kids are gone. That's weird. Is that a clue? Uh, and a lot of other people are gone. Buck Williams keeps spe- – he spe- this is this is that thing that you were talking about, Liz, where there's no dramatic tension because he's the, a fucking – the dumbest journalist alive piecing this shit together. Uh, I wonder if there's any connection between all of these people disappearing. I'm not going to do any research. I'm just going to monologue. Like, it should be immediately obvious. Oh, hey, they all left from, like, most of the people who left were in America and Europe. Like, mostly America (laughs) because of this Protestant bullshit. Like, why is this surprising? They actually make a really weird point, and we can discuss this further, is when they're on the plane, they show a bunch of people. One person they, like highlight who's who was left behind is, like, a uh, this black woman who's in, like, uh, traditional like African tribal outfits, which was super yeah gross and racist. Uh, racist is the word yeah, you're looking raci- for. Racist. <laughs> oh yeah, they, there's a, there's a couple racist things in this movie. Yeah, uh, this movie likes Israelis and not many other people. <laughs> who who boy does it like Israelis? Holy it really, shit! It yeah. also kind of doesn't trust Israelis. I don't know. There's something very like they're also idiots who get fooled by the Antichrist <laughs> and like are involved in all these evil bankers. Like I don't know. It's kind of. Uh, Evil. It's kind of ambivalent about Israel. <laughs> it's most well, real. It doesn't yeah. like Israelis. <laughs> and it also keeps calling them the Jews. Yeah. In like this weird tone. Anyway, racist. Yeah. Uh, maybe they maybe they meant the juice like OJ. <laughs> yeah. Well, oh, yeah. when they say it with, uh, what are you talking about? The Jews and the Arabs. <laughs> they just meant OJ. <laughs> it's a direct OJ, quote. Yeah, OJ's relationship with the Arabs. <laughs> Carl Arab. He was a coach in college. Uh. So, anyways, so anyways, they get back and they try to solve this mystery. Meanwhile, the pilot's like, "Hey, my wife's gone. She was pretty religious." And him and the daughter reconnect. Buck Williams uh, ends up at the UN, where they find out that one of the guys who's funding this secret wheat research project is actually the devil. And he gets to really rush to the end. He consolidates power, divides up ten people in the UN to have their own nations. When, while he has Buck Williams document his rise to power, so the world will accept the one world government, uh, two people disagree, he kills him, but then he changes everyone but Buck Williams' memory that, uh, Jesus protects him. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus branded oh, memory wipe, uh, yeah. software. Yeah. It was the hair. Yeah. <laughs> people, Guys, people do keep hair. complimenting his hair. <laughs> Zach, Zach Morris, oh, Mike Seaver. Great hair. Great yeah. hair. You look uh, like so that, yeah, so so Mike at the end, Mike Seaver is like, "Oh shit, I guess we we got to just stay vigilant and pray for God." And then he goes and probably doesn't bone. Um, now that they're believers, well, they the, don't bone, but they, she does get they do get married in later books. Yeah, they get they they get married in uh, the start of uh, World later at War, the bone. third entry. Um, Thank you, Rick. <laughs> yeah. And and they actually get married in a double marriage with Rayford Steele and a woman we've never met before. Uh, so that's, that's, that's fun. That's great. Oh, the, the, it's like the, the end of Pride and Prejudice. <laughs> it's like a Jane Austen book. Yeah, totally. So, yeah, it, it ends on a real downer. Uh, there's going to be seven years of Satan rule and they got to fight back by just 
Like just hoping, around, just hope that God fix it, fix it in a little bit. Like what? What's the plot here? Let's just hang out at this shelter. <laughs> That'll be yeah, my, my, my my fa- my favorite. Yeah, my favorite. Like all the kids are gone on Earth, and they're like, "Well, we just gotta sit back, relax. Seven years is gonna be pretty rough with fucking Satan in charge." <laughs> 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 But thankfully, we got this townhome. People, yeah, we got this wait, reasonable so, three bedroom. So wait, what's the what's the problem with what's the problem with unlimited food and a one world government? Because it's the de- like they have such contempt for the entire concept of peace. Like the idea of anyone <laughs> being peaceful ever. Yeah, it's the most ridiculous thing you've ever heard. I get like they should probably take a look at Isaiah. Like all the beating their swords into plowshare stuff because they're like, oh, listen to this bleeding heart liberal. Like, <laughs> I yeah, <have> my guns. <laughs> yeah, this was such a this was such a violent reminder of the times we live in, where like there's this whole contingent of people who voted for a certain presidential candidate who believe world peace, unlimited food supply the UN and the media are all terrible things because the Antichrist uses journalism to fool you and it's like oh no fucking wonder this is where we're at and also the the UN it's one of my the thing that I find fascinating is how conspiracy theories are always centered around the most incompetent organizations like like if you go back to the 90s everyone was terrified of FEMA taking over and then like Katrina happened and everyone's like oh shit they're terrible like they (laughs) they could not do this Um, and, and then it's like the UN and it's like the UN is never going to take over. Have you guys followed but the UN? <laughs> it it definitely uh, it maps into those um, sort of anxieties, though. I, I don't know if it's like sort of constitutive of them, like it, it made them happen, <clears throat> or was part of like a movement that made them happen, or it like feeds into the same thing. But yeah, there is this notion of the one world government, the one world currency. You know, this sort of like they they really do, and as you know, in future episodes, for instance, like the young adult version, uh, left behind, vanished, the next generation, uh, they actually straight up imitate Obama as the uh, Nikolai Carpathia figurehead, and it's like this this really really fraught notion that like the devil is going to bring us all together, and that's how he's going to get us. You know what I mean? Like unity and solidarity in and of themselves to... are are going to be our downfall. I mean, like this idea that the UN is going to take over, like that the UN Secretary General is this force of like unbelievable power. It's like, I mean, I mean, Rick probably can. I don't know, Peter or Aaron, can you name the current Secretary General? It's, so it's How not Kofi Annan. Dare you, no, Kofi, <laughs> Kofi Annan? Annan. <laughs> Uh, I I can I can name the 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 U.S. representative. Okay, I had to look it up uh, when I was uh, watching right. this movie. It's not Kofi Annan. It's uh, Manuel Gutierrez. I think his name is uh, An- Antonio. I believe Antonio. I'm racist, um, but uh, <laughs> yeah, like it's just like this idea that the the only people who believe in the UN are evangelical Christians. <laughs> no one else believes so strongly in the UN. <laughs> the UN is like the UN is like a, a magic fairy and the more you believe in it, the realer it is. Yeah, yeah. no, it's like Freddy Krueger. <laughs> everybody, everybody, everybody applaud if you believe in one world currency. <laughs> the one world, like, they so clearly have no idea what world politics is. Like, at one point, just as a total throw-off line, Buck, uh, Buck Williams' friend, uh, 
boss comes in and says, well, they, they're just standardized the euro with the Korean currency. With the Korean currency. <laughs> like, what does that mean? Like, the North Korean currency? The South Korean currency? Like, and also, that would be insane. Like, he's, like, he's, you, he's all bemused. Be, he's like, uh, yep. It's like yep, he expected oh, man. it. <laughs> I get, like, the euro and the won are the same now? Like, what, what does that even mean? It's so, like, out of line with anything that would happen in real life. Also, that they. I love that you. I love that you identify that scene because I laugh really, really hard every time. And also, like the why wouldn't the U.S. be the first thing to tie to the one? Like it shows like (laughs) an an immense misunderstanding of geopolitics. It's 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 just it's written in in fucking in you know uh, bold. It's written in in huge strokes. It's just like well. Uh, Euro and the wand. <laughs> there we go. Well, it's also oh. so funny that the idea that even if there was going to be like a peaceful one world government united by by a uh, uh, one man, uh, that the idea that their first clue that something was wrong would be that they weren't using the American dollar. Yeah, because you exactly. know how Jesus was was really big into nationalism, really big into America, <laughs> really big into and really big in into currency. Look, I yeah. love like, money, man. I, he yeah. Money so much. He was always like, "Look at this money! I'm throwing it in the air." I don't. I don't mean to make presumptions <laughs> about you know um, Eastern Europeans or the Russians or whoever, but I really think the first notion that something was wrong was that the guy. Who's going to save us is named Nikolai Carpathia. Yeah, like yeah. that. That doesn't. Yeah. Nothing about that sounds good. Not even Nick. Not even Nick. What no. is Nikolai? What is it? He goes Nikolai with, well, an, with an E, and they even put it on the when they identify him on on GNN. You know. <laughs> Why did Carpathians get such a bad rap? It's like the only two Carpathians I know are this guy and Vigo the Carpathian. <laughs> yeah, Busters too. Um, yeah, totally. What are those? What's so evil about those mountains? I don't I think, know. I think I, I think another clear sign is that uh, in the in Nikolai he he dots his eye not with a heart but with a pentagram. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he should have he should have used a heart. It might have got rid of the Ghostbusters too. Uh, you know, feeling. <laughs> I'll tell you what, I'll take Nikolai Carpathia any day over the worst fucking name in any movie ever. It actually made me the maddest. Who thought Dirk Burton was a good name? <laughs> <laughs> I was so angry yeah, that yeah. someone so came up says- with the worst... The worst combination of first and last name. It makes my brain hurt. He says Dirk, Dirk, Dirk Burton. Dirk Burton. We'll see what Dirk Burton died for. Why would Dirk you Burton. do that to anyone to make them say that? Like from a movie that has fucking Buck Williams, which yeah, is like and Rayford Steele. They are so bad. If you all right, if I told you this movie, the first three men we're introduced to are named Raymond Steele, Buck Williams, Rayford, Dirk Burton, Rayford. It's important. <laughs> uh, you'd be like, oh, this is a porno. Oh, okay. <laughs> yes. Oh, and stewardesses are, are involved. Okay, yeah, no, oh, yeah. this is a porno. Yeah, totally. I, I don't know if I'd get past Dirk Burton. I'd be like, oh, my brain. Yeah, it's a humming noise. I what actually, I, I made a joke about this recently on Facebook, but I was looking through my notes from when I first watched this. And uh, yes, I took notes watching Left Behind with Kirk Cameron. And hey, me too. Uh, I got my phone open. Yeah, one of my notes just has just says Dirk has a hamster question mark. <laughs> and I like it took me like a long time to figure out what I was trying to get at with that note. And it wasn't until I rewatched it today where they come into Dirk's apartment. And there's just a hamster running in a wheel. And I guess that really struck me the first time. But it, I think I was mostly amazed that his name was Dirk. And that he had a hamster. Nothing about it seemed to make sense to me. 
I want to talk about the scene in Dirk Burton's apartment because it's hysterical. Like, okay, so first of all, it's Dirk, the whole character is like, he's kind of the Deep Throat, except if <laughs> Deep Throat was played by Kramer. Uh, he's like <laughs> acting so hard. Um, it's the weirdest. It is a bizarre performance. Um, and I, I, I love when there's crazy conspiracy theory guys in movies. Like, I love people just like rattling off like this is the big plan and I know I'm gonna skip some steps getting there and I know it sounds like I'm on cocaine but we're we're gonna get there we're gonna get to the all these steps and you're gonna sit here and you're gonna fucking listen to me like those characters can be really fun sure. in movies not d- not Dirk <laughs> so fucking insufferable in this like what yeah. is he what, he's just like it, it's like a parody of it like he's there's no human humanity behind it it's just he's just like oh yeah if i talk really fast like it'll like did he just have three cups of coffee and yeah. he's like i sound like i'm on cocaine now like even he, like he said a line like oh, he thought the file was protected but i got it and it's like he's like wait a minute so he just forgot to protect his file like that's that was how you got it like, <laughs> a guy forgot to no. password protect his file and he got it on a floppy like what the hell yeah um, yeah wow what a keyboard cowboy yeah well, it's, exactly. a, it's also a annoying because he's he's also rattling off side comments that are meant to like clue in in the no evangelicals but not anyone who is not like intimately familiar with the end time story because he's like you know the 10 tracks of land and it's like wait yeah, what yeah. <laughs> um and also um, there was another. Oh, so 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 uh, uh, Buck Williams goes to this guy's apartment to, to, or goes to his house to talk to him, and the guy is dead and been assassinated by. Oh, and also the evil conspiracy people say, "I think it's time for Mister Burton to lose his pension." Yeah, and his health and care. his health benefit. It's like, okay, guys, we get it, we understand. You didn't. Need We're to gonna kill him twice. with a gun. <laughs> We're gonna shoot him. I'm gonna shoot him with a dick. <laughs> <laughs> he's gonna die in his dick from my I gun. Know, I don't know if he's on Medicaid, but if he is, also gone. Diplomatic also, I, diplomatic immunity. It's been revoked. That savings bond he's had since he was six torn to shreds. <laughs> I, I hope he selected a beneficiary for his life insurance policy, or that money reverts back to the company. <laughs> um. Also, the other thing that bothered me was when, so they go to his house and he's dead and they just left his body on the floor. You just had millions of people disappear. You had the best cover for a murder in history and you don't just bury his body somewhere. Oh, he raptured too. We'll leave some clothes. Like, what the hell? The the assassins, admittedly, though, are extremely incompetent. They are really bad, really bad at getting the job done. Well, Well, they don't need to be. They don't need to be good. Because yeah. they are promised in the Bible seven years of Antichrist rule. Yeah, no, they've already won, basically. <laughs> and they and the guy the guy shooting through this like what's supposed to be in this movie's idea of a uh, of a big exciting action scene is him like scoping Kirk Cameron at night. Which, by the way, I don't know a hell of a lot about guns, but uh, I do know that if you are uh, looking through a uh, night vision scope, that it doesn't say the name of the gun in the side corner. <laughs> <laughs> I also want to point out that this is the chubbiest assassin I've ever seen. Yeah. <laughs> he's a, he's, a, he's a little chunkster. It's, it's true. He's the Liz, can we write a script or a, or a book called The Chubbiest Assassin? It's definitely a children's book. It's definitely a children's book. <laughs> he just kills Kirk Cameron in every story. That's the, the sequel they're making 25 years too late to Richard Donner's assassins. <laughs> Still starring Antonio chop- Banderas and Sylvester Stallone. <laughs> they just age together. It's like it's like the before trilogy. Yeah. It's just a book about um oh man. 
Mark Chapman. Mark David Chapman. Yeah. He's already yeah. Chapman twenty seven. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like no, no one's. You know, here's what's funny about Chapter twenty seven. It made I think I, I think this is true. $27,000 at the box office. And the only reason people know that name is because we like this idea of Jared Leto working so hard for something that people gave less a shit about than Delgo. <laughs> <laughs> and it's got that cover that's just Jared Leto's real fat face. And he gained 80 pounds. And his face just looks like he's like, I ate the Pop Tart. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I left the pizza in the oven again. Uh-oh. Yeah, like now it oh, takes me thirty bro. minutes to get to Mars. <laughs> Mar- Mars can take care of itself. I'm gonna take a nap. Um, so as long as we're talking about chubby people, let's circle back to the plain guy. <laughs> oh, a particular boy. shot where um where the stewardess who to me looks like Peggy Lipton. I don't know if you guys got that, but uh well, yes, she Chelsea Noble, bit. star of Growing Pains. Yeah. Oh really? Kirk, I never watched that and show. Kirk and Cameron, one episode Kirk Cameron's wife. Never watched Gro- Yeah, Kirk I Cameron's never watched life, Growing they, Pains. They met so they met on Growing Pains, and this is true. So he was supposed to marry someone else on that show, and midway through the show he went from atheist uh to evangelical. The the person he was supposed to marry on this show, he uh, had pl- posed in Playboy a couple years before, so he got her fired from that show, oh, and then okay. brought back this girl who he had started dating, who was right. Chelsea Noble, who he married on the show, and now is like in every movie with him, and if not, he hires uh, like a stunt kiss. Yeah. For, that's a whole different thing. Yeah, yeah. no, he, he wouldn't kiss his f- fake wife in a Fireproof, right. I think, uh, right. because- yeah. uh, yeah. Um, well, anyway, so she walks by and takes a look at this guy. This guy is holding one pillow to his chest like it's a baby and a glass of whiskey or something and gives her a look that is like, don't you dare take my pillow away from me, you fucker. <laughs> yeah. And it's my we've favorite all, thing. We've all been there. You know, you want... <laughs> Which, you know... Plants are not comfortable. And they're sure you lose all sorts of things. You lose, you know, people you love and you lose, you know... Family members and all sorts of stuff. I'm assuming dogs, because uh, all dogs go to heaven. Uh, uh, did you not see these several shots of dogs looking around sadly? Oh, I, yeah, I, I, I have I a big note about the dogs. <laughs> yeah, we'll get there. I, I, I feel like I can only believe in a religion that if a rapture does exist, it takes all the dogs away. Absolutely. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Um, so here's I want one more thing about the fat guy that actually annoyed me as much as uh, fucking Dirk Burton's name. So <laughs> Dirk Burton. After after he sees that everyone's missing from the plane, he says. I got to get out of here. I got to get out of here. Yeah, right. He's like, he's like, like you I do. don't want to disappear too. So he's going to jump out of the plane with his pillow. <laughs> it's <laughs> it's it'll break his balls and soft thing. Yeah. But here's what really annoyed me. So the worst character in this movie and any movie ever is Rayford Steele. Sure. And he's the worst. He, what, what, what an he, asshole. So he, yeah, he's the worst. So he and he's goes, like if a character was written for John Hamm, but John Hamm didn't play him. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah, perfect. Uh, so so he, but so he's running to the emergency exit and is pulling, and Rayford Steele, pilot of an airline for quite some time, freaks out that he's trying to open the exit door, um, which infuriated me because I hate doing the factual error thing, but 
you can't fucking open an exit door if the cabin is pressurized because if if that was the case all terrorists would ever have to do is just whoop <laughs> I'm just gonna why, I'm just why? gonna pay the fifty dollars for an exit seat and kill everyone. This is the easiest way to hijack a plane why, ever. Why do we put that lever there? Yeah. <laughs> but the fact that Rayford Steele doesn't fucking know this is weirdly infuriating to me. <laughs> Yeah, and he's tackled by uh, the combination of the dream team of Rayford Steele and uh, Buck Williams, which is also fucking ridiculous. Because I think that – I even think Chubby Guy – I mean, Rayford might have a chance, but he gets fucking clocked right away. And it's fucking and Buck Williams who takes him down. I'm pretty, I'm pretty sure Pillow Man could uh, could take I'm out. I'm sure I could take Buck Williams one handed. Oh yeah, I think. yeah, yeah. Knock if you buck. <laughs> <laughs> totally. I just shout Israel and then kick him in the ball. He'd be distracted. <laughs> I'm gay. I'm gay, and he'll run away. <laughs> yeah, I'll be like gay Israel, and I'm I don't kick him in catch the ball. It. <laughs> Here's what you do: you give him a word search. It's going to take him eight days to solve that thing. (laughs) He's just looking for Jesus the whole time. He can't find it. Exactly. It's right Um, in the the middle. It's the middle five letters. Jesus. Which is actually, it's funny at the game because... Okay, that the hacker couple he was he went to visit, they're supposed to be gay, right? Like, that was... Sure, she she does henna. She has henna on her. The the girl is kind of, uh, you know, nodding white. They're probably gay. Okay, uh, so he wasn't afraid of them, and also the idea that they were involved in cracking the code. Uh, yeah, the, these people who don't immediately see, oh, that's clearly the name of a book of the Bible. Like, how stoned are you guys? <laughs> they, they really, they really. I mean, for a time that the internet existed, uh, the year two thousand. They really just can't piece this together at all. <laughs> they have no idea how the internet works. Well, yeah, they I love, no, like, I love it that. So I, so I actually so so the one thing about him not solving the mystery is I think that's one of the to kind of go into why w- one of the big reasons this doesn't work as a movie is that you can't have the audience like you've heard of like a couple steps ahead of the audience like the audience is eight weeks ahead of this movie. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> if you're seeing the movie, you know what it, it it's happening. Yeah. Like so you're not gonna. This isn't like a. This isn't like a, a subversive film. Like if you're watching Left Behind. Yeah, and when your protagonist is is the one left behind mentally. <laughs> I mean, he, he, my favorite, maybe my favorite line was at the beginning when the um, the someone's are bombing Israel, poor peaceful Israel who is always being picked on. Um, there is a scene where uh, he runs outside into the bombing to film it, and he said uh, he points it up at the sky and he says, "The sun has been blotted out," and it's like that's what night is. Yeah. <laughs> you're, you're just outside yeah. at night. Like <laughs> this isn't a doomsday weapon. He would have filmed at Hiroshima, which is exactly what's going on, I guess. Yeah, except no one's really affected. Yeah, All not really. Dead. Nothing happens. There yeah. don't seem to be any repercussions for so the So it's a relatively like, it's a relatively bloodless um, apocalypse narrative, you know. Well, and it, that's the big special effects shot is the blowing up of stuff. And I'll tell you what, the third thing, the holy trinity of things that make me pissed about this movie <laughs> is that they didn't attempt to fucking special effect the actual rapture. Like that oh, yeah. makes me angry. There's nothing I would have liked more. Than a straight a bunch to of video. naked children floating yeah. in the sky. Yeah, <laughs> dingers like... floating in the wind. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay, all right. So, so I'll do it. I actually, I think I disagree with that. Here's why 
I kind of like this movie better than its uh, its sequels. Is yeah, I that, saw you gave it two stars on. Yeah, I, I did give it. I think it's. I think it's better than a one star movie. I think it's a two star movie. And part of that is like because they're making do with what they have, right? It's a it's a direct to video thing, directed by this fucking Canadian hack, starring all these fucking lunatics and stuff, and uh, based on these this these garbage books. And uh, so they're trying to make something out of it, <laughs> <laughs> you know. And uh, the notion to me that. In an instant, you could turn around and people are just gone. People like, you know, they were driving a car and now their car is going to crash into something. People's loved ones were next to them and now they're not next to them actually has dramatic potential. It's not like a completely ludicrous narrative. It, I mean, it is. And but people love The Leftovers. Yeah. Like, yeah. Well, you know, and, on HBO. And, so, and so the notion that there's not like a, a big scene of people evaporating didn't really bother me because I thought, you know, all right, like – Maybe we can th- – there's there's some horror potential, I suppose, in this notion of things just changing in an instant. You know what I mean? Yeah, I think you're, I think you're right. I think that was maybe the only clever decision they made, I thought, was that, uh, okay, we do not have the money for this. Also, everyone is canonically naked. Like, I think that's an important <laughs> point. Like, yes. showing everyone fly out of their clothes. Like, it's like – I mean, I, I actually – I would have loved it if a whole bunch of naked people – went to the sky. That would have been really cool, <laughs> but I don't think it would have helped the movie necessarily. You'd have to call the movie uh, Theft Behind because <laughs> they would have their butts stolen. <laughs> wow. What? I, what? I, th- I think they should have called it Naked, s- naked City. <laughs> well, they could have called naked it Naked right City, behind. yes. Or Our right Behinds. Behind. Our Behinds? Power Behinds! Her <laughs> Cameron is power bottom. Here's the thing: you're right, Rick. From a from a artistic point of view, like The Leftovers is one of my favorite shows on right now, and they do a similar thing. They do it much better because it's a good show um, <laughs> and not a bad movie. And, and it's also about it's much better about faith and depression, which probably like pisses off and loss. Probably pisses off like the the idea that like these somewhat secular people could make this like riff on their themes and mm-hmm. do it so much better. No, but that goes right to the heart. <laughs> that goes right to the heart of of uh, what we're trying to talk about. I think. Yeah, exactly. So anyway, so but I'm saying it from a mean point of view that yes, as an artistic vision, way better. But I still want to. I kind of want to see what they want to try to do. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I get it. I do get it. Yeah. yeah. Can I say a really weird thing about this movie and its remake, which I have not seen? That this movie was directed by someone named Vic Saren, mm-hmm. who also sounds like an Antichrist name. Vic is spelled yeah. V-I-C. And then the 2014 Nicolas Cage movie was directed by a guy named Vic Armstrong. Vic <laughs> is also spelled V-I-C. Wow. Ooh. That actually made me believe in the supernatural more than anything in this movie. <laughs> <laughs> and, and also Saren is like Saren nerve Saren gas. gas. Like, yeah. yeah. And Armstrong is like God's arm is strong. <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, I got I'm not going to lie. I like the second director's name better. <laughs> you you ever think of changing your name to Vic? I mean, now I do. Every day. <laughs> How about how about you change your name to Thick Armstrong, like T H I C C? Well, if I was the fucking writer of the Left Behind books, I would have already. <laughs> <laughs> um, the aesthetic of this movie is just so dull, and the, all of it was just so boring to me uh, that I, I can't couldn't get any even uh, nostalgia out of it. Uh, unfortunately, 
Yeah. I think it's hard to get even bad movie enjoyment because it's so boring. Because it's just, it's just giving you information so that you can either feel good about stuff you already knew or probably in their theory, like, convert the unconverted with right. their serious tome. Right. Um, but, I, you know, I, I actually think this movie is the only way I would recommend it because I really hated it. <laughs> um, even though it stars my boy, Mike Seaver. Uh, for, your boy, Ray yeah. Steele. Yep, Al, Alan Thicke's son. He's a steelhead. Yeah. Hey, Rick, show me that smile again. Don't waste another living for another. Uh, so, no, it's... Uh, I, f- I feel like if you watch this, and we'll probably have this more, it, it's kind of a weird decoder ring to something that I think confuses a lot of people about the times we live in, where people are like, why the fuck do these conservatives hate the UN? And it's this is this is why it's a crazy reason, but it's still as you know it's it's prevalent enough. I feel to be like twenty thirty percent of people are like the UN is evil because they're trying to create a one world government for the Antichrist takeover. Uh, it's the global warming thing where where there's you kind of wonder why do all these conservatives not like global warming, and then you really dig down deep, and it's because they believe it's environmentalists' uh, way to control the population of the Earth through birth control and abortion, and people go, oh, no, people don't really think that. That's that's like a small sect. It's kind of cultish. Uh, like, a, like a small 1%, 2%, but no, like a ton of people believe <laughs> that global warming is a myth to control the population of the Earth. Right. And it's it's movies like this that really kind of think underline like it's it's almost a decoder ring for our times. Totally, Pete. What do you think? So, uh, yeah, I, I I think that the it kind of unlocks later Cameron movies in that they got more indulgent. I have seen Saving Christmas, which is basically like a diatribe intermixed with a movie. Like it's it feels more like a YouTube essay than a movie. Hmm. This feels like they were like, we still have to make a movie, but because at that point, Cameron was still very close to Hollywood. He wasn't that far away from growing pains. And then, you know, stuff like Fireproof came out. They kind of like uh, cut the difference, let's say. Like there was like, it was still sort of a movie, but it was starting to get way preachy. Like honestly, the stand TV miniseries that's like not ostensibly an evangelical thing. That's like more preachy about the importance of faith than this is. This the Stephen King stand TV uh, TV show is like feels way way more like God is important, and if right. you don't bow to him, like this feels like it's just like a poorly told narrative. But uh, as per final thoughts. Uh, it did have two things in it that is is Liz's least favorite trope and my favorite trope. <laughs> uh, Liz's least favorite trope is uh, someone watching a videotape of the dead. <laughs> yes. <laughs> That's so creepy. Oh, man. Yeah. yeah. Uh, watching home home movies the day after the sad death. It's, it's, on it's only been like 18 hours. Yeah. 12 hours. Yeah, and, tops. Like, and doesn't he... And he's, like, lamenting over his lost daughter, and his lost daughter comes home, yeah, right? Chloe. Like, it's part of the twist. Okay. So, that is that. Then it has my favorite trope, which is somebody going to a church to yell at God, because I guess, like, the reception there is better. <laughs> All right. <laughs> my, my, favorite my, favorite thing, thing. my favorite thing about that scene is how he knocks over the, the cross with a ping pong ball from, like, 20 <laughs> feet away. 
That's like the flimsiest cross anyone has ever constructed. It's the flimsiest cross, or this dude is ripped. Yeah, like, I don't know. This dude has- he wasn't Top Gun. I mean, maybe that's what happened. I don't know. Jesus died yeah. for your serve. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, the movie is the movie has ridiculous moments like that. But I just love that it tapped two specific tropes that I love. Uh, and uh, Liz, or one specific trope that I love, and one specific trope that I know Liz finds very creepy. It's so uh, creepy, <laughs> and that means it's enough of a movie, right? Right. If it's tapping into tropes, that means it's trying to be a film. Uh, where uh, Rick, what do you think? Does do the later movies? I haven't seen the next two, and I've not seen the Nick Cage one. I'm sure we'll do the Nick Cage one at some point in this series. No, let's but. not. It's so bad. But it's boring. But it's it's so fucking boring. You said it was, but you said somehow it was worse than this movie. Yeah. And okay. So that's what I want to get at in my, my closing thoughts. And so to answer your question, Peter, uh, yeah, like what you just touched on, the fact that it's trying to be a movie, I think, um, is to its weird, shitty credit. I mean, it's a bad movie. I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to go out and be like Left Behind, direct a video. Left Behind, colon, the movie is recommendable on any level. It's actually very bad. But it does tie in these various tropes. And the thing, having watched the sequels, like Tribulation Force and World at War, uh, and the Nick Cage one, and the one for, for kids or whatever, there's actually doubt in this movie. For much of the movie, Kirk Cameron doesn't kind of know what's going on. And so he's like trying to unravel the mystery and there it's really heavy handed. It's really ham fisted. He's got his coked up deep throat. He's got his two lesbian researchers and all the rest of this shit that like <clears throat> doesn't make any fucking sense. But if it plays like a like a thriller ish and that is increasingly jettisoned as it goes on and it really gets into fist in the air evangelical polemicism in a way that's much less entertaining than this first one was. So all I'm saying is, you guys, if, if you want to have this movie rise in your estimation, watch its sequels, because they are quite poor. <laughs> no. <laughs> I will not. <laughs> I can't believe we got through this whole episode without talking about that the formula for the food looks like a big dick. <laughs> <laughs> it sure does. It sure does. It's also like that uh did you guys see that Liam Neeson movie um that came out after Taken? Uh Big un- Dick. Uh big yeah, <laughs> unknown, I, right? I think yeah, unknown, right? And the the whole well, I guess it's a spoiler for unknown. I'm sorry everyone. But uh January Jones reappears towards the end of the film and it turns out that the big thing that was unknown was how they were going to grow a bunch of corn. <laughs> One of my favorite things about Rick is that he finds any movie involving wheat hilarious. <laughs> I just find I, I find crop growing hilarious. I, crop I like the, as a plot point. Hey, I like the don't notion. Don't limit Rick. It's all grasses. Yeah, I, I just love like uh, I just love somebody sitting down at their keyboard. They're about to pen the next great work of fiction about, you know, what humanity's place is in the universe and what we should be doing with this thing called life. And then they're like, but what about that wheat? <laughs> yeah. When I when I open up my computer, I just have a screensaver that says needs more wheat. 
<laughs> you're basically like a you're basically like a command prompt from like a, a real time strategy video game. <laughs> Struck more weed. Totally. Rick, Struck more weed. Rick, <laughs> Rick's favorite media piece of media of all time is season three of the X Files. <laughs> I write intricate love stories where at the end everybody grows wheat. That's what happens. <laughs> wheat. Uh, I called you wheat. Uh, Rick's favorite genre of work is uh, covers to my Antonia. <laughs> his favorite, his favorite kind of art. I'm actually uh, sitting in a in a field of wheat right now, recording this. That's how I do. That's how I podcast. That's that's how I do. If you don't mind, well, we can move on to talking about uh, it as a faith. Uh, yeah, faith experience. Yeah, sure. Briefly. Um, I don't want to take too long uh, talking about this, but I, I do want to um, cover that. I think this movie is uh, in awful um, from that perspective. I mean, the the evangelical misunderstanding of Revelation is so insanely infuriating to me, um, which might be why I have no time for this movie. Um, uh, the idea that Revelation is this very specific text written for it was written as a letter to these churches that were giving in to Roman power and becoming too... Uh, involved in the state and the oppression uh, that the state was doing. And this is John saying, just basically um, John writing a, a pan, it's like trying looking around at all of these people who are doing this incredibly lazy, uh, they look around and all they see are the politics of the world around them just very simply. And they don't see the, the deeper issues going on and saying, you idiots, like, look, look at what's going on around you. This is so much bigger than just one country taking over another. This is issues of good and evil. You know, um, it is a, a incredibly powerful uh, screed against against government against uh giving into uh, oppressive power structures and to see it adopted by the very people that it is supposed to be criticizing pisses me off so much sometimes um that's kind of christian that's kind of the worst parts of christianity as a whole yeah exactly like they're obsessed it's like no this is angry at you you idiots like right. um <laughs> yeah. uh and that act of, of turning into this boring movie where the idea of feeding people and peace is this like repulsive plot by the government to to keep you down it's like no that's the fact that you have scorn for that is exactly the the thing that this is criticizing um and it's so it it is i would say even more than that revelation as a text to such an extent is is a call to call for the christians to um kind of it's it's written in this time where late first century and people are losing their imagination that they had uh, the first the the when they first hear this stories and the newness that all these images give them and it's almost a call to to revitalize your imagination so that you understand the world around you and and, and at that level to the extent that it's trying to um recharge our image banks almost um an aesthetically boring movie like Left Behind is not just aesthetically insulting, it's theologically insulting. It, <laughs> yeah. it fails as a theological text uh, to the extent that it is aesthetically boring as hell. Yes. Um, which is uh, <laughs> what maybe why his movie is extremely infuriating to me. Uh, so that's that's my soapbox. Yeah, yeah. Revelation is kind of like the 1960s Star Trek of the of the Bible, yeah. where they're trying to he's trying they're trying to talk about all these issues, but dressing it up in a way that like got people's attention. Mm -hmm. And to understand like yeah, like the 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 newness of these images, these crazy like to upset their concept of what seems normal. And this is a very normal movie. <laughs> 
Totally. So do you feel like uh, having that text mapped over into this kind of prosaic uh, domestic narrative is is particularly insulting? Yeah, absolutely. I think. Uh, well, I don't know if it's it's not just it's not just insulting because it's a bad movie because I don't think a lot of people. Well, I, it's insulting in that it represents this something deeper about the church today, like that is um, very depressing and frustrating, uh, which is why it, it really um, gets under my skin. It's the the idea that um, this is quote future history is the quote that right. is not that, that is such an Im- impossibly bad uh understanding of um what this text is trying to do it it is absolutely not yeah i mean revelation is an incredibly carefully constructed literary work i mean if you want to look at the form of this book it's absolutely insane how much care went into it on a narrative and aesthetic basis so to say oh well it's we don't have to like try we're just trying to convert people is so stupid well in fairness uh, in fairness a lot of care and and all that stuff went into uh to kirk cameron's hairstyle that's true that is a very how do you get that quaff yeah (laughs) god so like kirk kirk cameron didn't actually make contact with god but his hairdresser did <laughs> his hairdresser got uh um, got raptured so <laughs> yeah liz that's, a, liz that's a wonderful yeah. point to make is that it is it is a a theologically empty movie and it, it actually weirdly enough doesn't really engage with any specific idea it just pre- like you said it just presents it as this this weird twi- this weird polluted twist on history or future history and i i find that kind of um uh morally uh iffy to, to say the least but yeah I, I i i think that you said it as much better than i ever could have said it and uh yeah well and their um and their take on it is fundamentally dehumanizing mm-hmm. because yeah. it basically says that the people that you live with today, not later on someday when God will have judgment after your death for each individual person, but many of the people you deal with today are bad people who will be left behind sure. for the devil. So it allows justification for people living today, this kind of mentality of how the book of Revelation works, the concept of the rapture in general, which is like a fucking made up thing from a hundred years ago Mm -hmm. uh the whole the whole thing is this idea that everyone around you right now a lot of them are shitty and not worth your time they are doomed to be left behind sure and that's a terrible worldview yeah but it's also a worldview that uh that animates much of of our politics right and uh animates much of exactly social structure so like i understand the outrage but to me it's not that really that surprising like the notion of the division between the elect and the preterite or the uh the chosen and the passed over and that we can recognize people by their deeds and uh by their their wealth and so forth is written pretty deeply into the um the sort of social fabric of the society we live in so it's actually you know I don't know. It might be a strangely left behind might be, um, you know, an accurate representation of something going on in people's brains. For sure. No, it's it's definitely accurate. It's just, yeah. I mean, what I think, um, you know, the way that it's constructed here, I almost think, uh, and I guess I'll put in a, a, a trigger warning for um, 
uh, suicide. I think there's almost something suicidal about this logic that the the fantasy of Left Behind is. I, it reminds me of the fantasy of of someone going through issues with suicide. It's this idea that oh well they'll finally appreciate me after I'm gone. Sure. The way that they yeah. like literally leave a tape right, like they leave this videotape for them to sit around and be like, hi, I was right all along. Um, it's a. I think it's meant uh, ultimately mentally unhealthy kind of like approach to this kind of thing i don't know yeah yeah and you can and 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 there's companies there's companies where you can leave those types of tapes or create those types of tapes for the people that you'll be leaving behind in the rapture that you think is coming in real life so which is like who's doing their server maintenance we have to hire one I, atheist like, we to promise make sure it runs. we promise our our servers Every morning, our servers wake up and worship Baal. Exactly. We, we got we got two atheists, a Jew, and a Muslim. It's cool. Um, it's well, like I, that yeah. myth. It's like that myth that fundamentalists propagated that the uh, airlines believe in the rapture because they won't let two fundamentalist Christians or whatever pilot at the same time. <laughs> I've never heard that. That's amazing. I've never heard that either. Uh, no, I, and it's and yeah, Liz. I think you made a really good point. Is that they? Um, it does delve into this like self harm fantasy where you're like my actions, my my being gone can really prove a me- a point to somebody. Like you're gonna you're gonna miss me when I'm gone, and like somehow I can like watch from the funeral. Sure. Like and actually, you know, like. It's the Mark it's Twain. It's very fantasy. unhealthy. It's it's incredibly unhealthy. Yeah. Now that you folks are talking about it, I actually I hadn't really uh, considered this, but there is something fundamentally adolescent about it, it. It's narrative, particularly in that way. I think that's really true. It is. There is like a sort of, you know, the the a fourteen year old going to bed at night, like, oh, but when I'm gone. They're going to really know, like, they should have done better by me or whatever. Kind of, like, logic that runs through it, you know? Yeah. Well, sure. and then on the macro level, it's it's rooting for the end of the world because that's when the real good stuff starts happening. Exactly. Sure. Yeah, of course. I mean, right. that, that's been this perpetual weird undercurrent in American um, – there's a there's – a, kind of um, beliefs about the rapture called dispensationalism that I won't get into now. It's boring and, and very complicated and insane. Um, but uh, one thing that some dispensationalists believed um, around the time of prohibition was, you know, prohibition was pushed by a lot of Christian organizations and the dispensationalists said, no, what are you guys doing? Like, God only comes back once everyone gets drunk. Everyone, it, we have to get all, all the way to the bottom where everyone starts drinking a bunch and then if you're trying to postpone the, this idea that we, uh, they're almost like accelerationists. I was, was going to say they're uh, theological yeah. accelerationists. Yeah, yeah totally. no, no. That's absolutely <laughs> what it is. Um, so, yeah, it's a, it's a bizarre uh, idea, but uh, yeah, it's definitely have huge issues. Like and this that. movie does a terrible job of communicating all of those issues that we just spoke about. <laughs> yeah, the, our conversation is much more interesting than anything that happens. Because this, I, Liz, I think you <clears throat> called it a pamphlet, and that is the yeah, um, that's the perfect description. Because the, there's that scene where they realize that they should convert to Jesus, both. Buck Williams and Pilot McFuckface. Um, he <laughs> it basically it pilot basically looks dick. like a scene. Chloe's dad, the know. pilot, <laughs> big steely dick. <laughs> it it basically looks like a scene. Uh, there's music that plays over. They sit down. There's light coming in from the church windows. It looks like a scene from a commercial to like join the Church of Latter Day Saints. 
yeah for sure <laughs> for sure so yeah uh i think that was uh thanks for uh watching left behind some of you twice <laughs> uh, y'all are lunatics <laughs> i can't help it i once i started i couldn't stop <laughs> yeah wait this is actually inter- intervention right? a very yeah. long intervention you know, the tendency we, towards psychological health self-harm whatever we do next can't be a left behind movie and preferably should not be part of like a shouldn't have sequels so, yeah because I'm gonna, wa- I'll probably watch. So them. we haven't decided. We should say. So we haven't decided what we're gonna do next. This is kind of our pilot. I, you know, I think we have a lot of ideas because there's been a lot, a lot lately. But we'll figure that out. So next episode will be a surprise. And then the format of this show is going to be that there's always going to be at least three of us, and the more we can get four of us, the better. Great. That sounds awesome. Yeah. Yeah. That's 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 the plan. Um. Aaron and Pete already have another podcast, uh, yeah. uh, and I have a lot of nothing to do. Uh, it really eats up my schedule. Uh, so, uh, <laughs> well, so we'll have a lot in a uh, lot in store for for you listeners. We haven't quite nailed down what's next, but uh, yeah, it's gonna be good. So, so thank you for listening, and we'll leave you all behind now. <laughs> God, Jesus all Christ! Right. Uh, all right. <laughs> we have to come up with an actual exit for one of these shows. Absolutely. Like we can't just do and nothing that's... on either. <laughs> and that's the way people that's... some people say it was. <laughs> and, that's... <laughs> and that's the truth or something like And that's it. the I way it will be. And now you know <laughs> the rest of the scripture. My God's not dead, he's surely alive. He's living.